podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Anfield Wrap, Neil Atkinson, Mo Stewart, Stuart Wright and Philippa Smallwood with you for the next hour or so to talk about Manchester City 5, F-I-V-E, uh, Liverpool 0, N-I-L. Uh, we don't talk about many 5-0s on this show, thankfully. I don't know if I could do it if we did. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't feel like the, the healthiest use of time if that was the case, but we will be talking about this one pretty much for the next hour or so and then shifting on to have a chat about Liverpool pulling themselves together and looking at the Seville game. So, to start with, uh, it's a slightly different show to the way in which we normally do it, because we normally be talking about things in a in a more upbeat way, first and foremost, but secondly also, where there is one big event, we don't talk about referees very often on this show, or refereeing decisions, and one of the reasons why is I mostly think that football sides should be able to pull themselves together against a lot of different adversity, whereas it is fair to say that there is one decision that marks the game, and therefore, we'll talk about the game in different segments, but first and foremost... I want to know how everyone's feeling about it, really, getting beat 5-0 by a rival, uh, by a significant rival, a side that only finished two points ahead of us now. last season. Uh, Stu Wright, it's not great. <sighs> um, <laughs> I'm not very happy, to be honest with you, Neil. I'm not really in a good place. There's, uh, summer's over. I'm back at work. Um, there's hurricanes in the world. There's been a two-week international break. And then we get that yesterday. Uh, yeah, I've I'm, I'm a bit all over the place. It was really hard to try and I knew I was doing the show today, um, and so last night I was just trying to organise my thoughts, organise my emotions a little bit, thinking how am I going to put into words? And I, I'm, I'm still really struggling to be honest. But there's loads of different things I think about yesterday. There's loads of things. There's things I'm angry at. There's things I'm disappointed at. There's things I'm frustrated at. There's nothing I'm happy about at all. Um, the, the one thing I suppose I keep telling myself to lift myself off the floor is I wouldn't want to be civil on Wednesday night. You know, I, I, I just I wouldn't want to be in their shoes because, my God, we need to we need to show a reaction. Um, so yeah, I think I think the, the 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 one set of fans that might be feeling worse than us today, perhaps, are Seville fans who maybe took note of that result. Uh, most Stuart. Well, I am lucky in some ways. First of all, I want to say thank you very much for calling me to do this at eleven pound, Neil. This is exactly what Sunday morning should be. <laughs> Uh, I'm lucky in as much as I was able to use the restorative power of playing records to people at night and drinking rum to get over the game. And then this morning, in fact, about half an hour ago, I just looked at the agenda you sent me and I read down it and it all came flooding back. It was, I mean, it was almost one of those situations where you're watching the game and you're running through the scenario, the worst case scenario. I do that often if we're having a bad game, like what's the absolute worst thing that could happen here? And I had to revise that three times during the course of the second half because it got worse. Um, I've not seen us do a lot of the things we did last yesterday in a long time. And that part worries me, but I'm keen to use the anger of the situation constructively and to also try to put a bit more perspective in it. With every hour that goes on past the game, I'm trying to clutch at a bit more perspective. So I'm hoping by the end of the show, I'll be feeling a little bit better. You're a better man than me, Mark. <laughs> Philip, better man. Yeah, um, as I think everybody knows, I don't drink, but I was nearly drinking last night. I was. It was a tough one to take that yesterday. I... <sighs> I think I think what 
people have struggled with more than anything was that it looked like when our heads went when obviously Mane got sent off and I think then there was no reaction from the players. It was almost like they just gave in, thought that there's no chance we're going to get a result here. And the one thing that I try and remind myself of is that even it had taken an almighty monumental effort to get anywhere near to getting back into that game yesterday from 2-0 down. And in the past, we've praised other managers, I'm thinking the likes of Sam Allardyce, um, who are pragmatic in those sorts of situations and says to his players, you know, at halftime maybe, you know, there's there's no chance really that we're going to get back into this. Reserve your energies. You know, the three points against Burnley now become monumental. Let's make sure that we get those three points and just write this off. And I suppose part of me is maybe just clutching that that's possibly what happened at halftime yesterday that maybe Klopp took that sort of pragmatic view and decided that actually the chances of us getting into this are extremely slim and we could use energies up that we need for Wednesday and we need for next week against Burnley um, and take some of that energy that we might have for those games away by trying to get into it against Man City and still not managing to do it. Okay, I want to talk about the game. Don't often do it like this, be quite subscriptive, but because of the event, uh, because of the sending off, I want to talk about it in the manner of, let's have a chat about the lack of ruthlessness from Liverpool up until the sending off. Chat about the sending off, and then let's have a conversation about getting to half-time at 1-0, and then keep it in at 2-0 uh, after the break, because there's different ways to look at the manager's half-time sub. You can look at it from the point of view of the fact that he might have been thinking about saving Salah's legs. You can look at it at the point of view of the fact that his head might have been burnt out a bit, and he might, be, might have been thinking to himself, you've not been ruthless enough here, here Mohammed. I can't be bothered watching another 45 minutes of this. And there's the there's the chance that he might have actually been thinking to himself, let's just hang on in, get be more solid for a bit and then come out the other side and see if, if it is 2-0 with 10 to go, if we can throw a kitchen sink. We'll have a conversation about what we think is going on there and then we'll have a chat about whether or not we went to pieces before then or we're then going to pieces. So starting with that, Stu, there is... It's a soft goal to concede. Uh, on one hand, uh, they're a good side and they don't need it to be that easy is w- one of the things I'd say and it's easy in about three different phases that goal to concede and the other side of this is Liverpool have done more than enough in the game to actually have scored themselves prior to Mane sending off that both of those things are true City possibly deserve don't, don't necessarily not deserve to, to have one on the board too but we don't have to let it be an easy one It's a weird one this because I've seen a lot of talk about how we played up until Mane was sent off and I disagree with a lot of it Um because there's a notion that we were playing really well. Um, I don't think we, I don't think either side was playing well. No. I thought when watching the game back, it looks like loads of lads are closing passing angles off. I've only seen it. I haven't known the results. I don't think either side is, is touching the football of, of, the, of the spheres or anything like that. It actually looks quite nervy to me. I think both sides look a bit not limited, limited the wrong way, but they're very they're stopping each other from playing a lot. Yeah, um, I thought I thought they were terrified of us the way they set up. Um, I thought. It, you know, it's not the city that you expect. And, I, and I've seen a little bit uh, before the game, I've seen a little bit of um, things written about how Guardiola learned to adapt to, to Klopp style in Germany. Um, and, you know, I was expecting to be a lot more cagey and to, and to try and make it um, somewhat like the game we saw at Anfield last year, which was a bit more attritional. Uh, and it certainly wasn't like the free-flowing game that was later on in the year at, uh, at the Etihad. Um, I thought that it, it was notable that they were 
I think they're players where, in the back of their minds, they didn't want, want to have their, their pants pulled down at home by us. Um, but I didn't think, right from the first whistle, we were at it enough. The game plan was effective. We were getting through because it was an effective game plan and they are, you know, it was exploiting their weaknesses at the back. I mean, Osamendi was all over the show. But I, I, I still... on six minutes. Yeah, I, I, but I don't, I still don't think that we were... I was disappointed at our lack of tigerishness, if you like, in the press, in the tackle. I didn't feel... Uh, and I've got a thing in the back of my head and I've had this for years and probably, do you know what? It's, it's probably, it is completely irrational and probably all fans of all teams think it, but I hate early kickoffs. I always think that we do poorly at early we kickoffs, do. but that is completely irrational because it's, it's under several different managers that have felt that way. Um, but perhaps there's something in it a little bit more, I don't know, under this manager because... I think it's I, more early kickoffs away from home as well. Perhaps, but, and, and we, we're a bit, I don't know, we just seemed a little bit more flat. We just seemed a bit flatter in the way we were approaching the game. And, and I think this team needs to be at full throttle, to you know, to, to coin mm-hmm. Klopp's phrase. And I think when our percentages drop a little bit, we become susceptible, become, you know, our weaknesses can be exposed. And I felt our midfield um, was not present enough. Um, I mean, I think that there was, I saw a stat flying around after the game that um, between Jeannie Wijnaldum, Jordan Henderson and Emre Chan, uh, one successful tackle was made in the entire game. That's that's not okay away from home. That's I, I, I just that, I mean it's that's just appalling, isn't it? Really, and and, and I felt before any of the, the main instance like them scoring or Mane sending off, I was I was disappointed with how we were playing, but I was optimistic that we might get something because we were getting through. I mean, we were incredibly wasteful. We were incredibly wasteful. But, but think- just on that, Stu, just to pull you on the tackle thing, because I, I read the same stats, I've not seen the game mm-hmm. because the kerfuffle, which I'm not going to go into on this show, but when I watched the game back, one of the things that struck me was this was a lot of footballers who were not putting themselves in a position to be tackled. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. couldn't, I was, I'm shocked at when you've got players from both sides who, who you know, use Chan as an example going the other way. Chan is a lad who we know likes to hot, likes to have the ball and carry the ball and be on the ball. If anything, he chews it too much and all that sort of stuff. And he wasn't doing any of that for us. If you, it, was, it was constantly, I was stunned by how much, as I say, by uh, when you were talking about game plans and City being terrified of us, City did not want to lose. City did not want to be tackled by a Liverpool player. If you sort of know what I mean, yeah. so they never put themselves in that position. Now, trust me, across the course of ninety minutes, I want to see somebody thundering into someone over the way in which this game went. But I just, I, it was what I'm almost talking about here is whether or not there, at times these there's managerial instruction which makes the players look a bit like dopes yeah. to us sometimes. I, I, th- I think perhaps, and I think there was there was an element when we played Arsenal um, a couple of weeks ago. You know, there was a noticeable tactic that we sat back and let them come on to us and then exploited it. And, uh, you know, th- there's an argument that perhaps there was some of that going on. And I'm certainly not an advocate of wild shackles, tackles going in just to win the fight early on. I'm not an advocate of that. However, I felt, when I look at Army Field, the physicality of them compared to, you know, uh, just in their, their characteristics, yeah. their makeup to, mm-hmm. to compared to City's three in midfield, we should have been winning the physical battle. And you've watched Very it, fair. You've watched it forensically afterwards, I think, yeah, Neil, yeah. because you didn't watch it live because of your circumstances unfortunately um, as, as they were and I was caught up in emotion and I've not watched the back I can't put myself to do it I'm afraid um, <laughs> but I felt that there were a number of occasions in that first half when people in their central midfield areas were brushing our lads off the ball and doing it too easily mm-hmm. I there was there was a few occasions in my mind where that where that happened and 
And I also felt that positionally as well, we weren't reacting quick enough. We were slow in the press, but I thought yeah. we, there were too many big gaps between our midfield players. I mean, there's a perfect example of that in their first goal. Massively. You, you know, Emery Chan is is, is caught on off. Uh, you know, he's 10 yards. It's a bad header. It's a bad header. We're not reacting. A Klopp says that the, the, the defence should have pushed out and followed the header mm. um, and taken a few steps forward. I'm not totally sure I, I agree with that, but... Um, I, I just feel that we weren't sharp in our reactions, in our press, in our movements. Just It was a slower start than, than what I like to see this Liverpool. I, I think this Liverpool needs to play like, you know, so I'm, I've, talk, I've mm. talked a lot there. Sorry. No, 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 <laughs> it, it was all good. There are lots of things that I was going to say anyway, so that's all good as well. Um, I think there's an element of rustiness and it's easy to blame the international break for, you know, players being in different rhythm, playing with different systems for different managers alongside different players. But then when you look at Manchester City and they were in exactly the same boat and they managed to get out of it. Uh, I agree with you that I don't think anyone was playing well early on, but it looked like we were as likely to click into gear as they were. Mm -hmm. But then the goal happens. And again, I think rather than just looking at the individual mistakes or issues that happen in the game, my biggest feeling here is that the reaction to those was missing. And when you look at the goal, for example, I mean, you're right, the, the Chan was off nowhere. Uh, Henderson makes a poor header. But if you look at the situation while that's happening in midfield, if you look at where the defenders are, you've got Craven on one side, he's got two guys turning, ready to run either side of him. Now, Matip has either not noticed that and not come across, and Craven hasn't shouted to him saying, Oi, come over here. Either of those two things would have sorted that situation, but neither of them happened. And I think it's a little bit more of a damning indictment for the defence, because I, I looked at these, the stats when I was on the way up here. Um, Moreno, Matip, they didn't play international football. Claven was back on Sunday. Now, uh, Lovren played late Tuesday night, which is, he said it was leggy, which I assume is why Claven was in. Did they spend that extra time working? Did they spend that extra time going over things over and over again? Scenarios where you be with her. They have no excuse. That's why the manager said post-match, the defence should be stepping up off the back of the head and full stop. The defence exactly. should just be stepping up Because they've obviously probably worked on that specific scenario in training and it didn't happen in the game. And again, that goes to the mentality of the players. That goes down to the not <laughs> the, the, the lack of being early risers, if you will, not, have, not being sharp at the point. And when you're playing against a team like Manchester City, they give you advantages, but when they take their advantages, it's very painful. So you've got to take your chances against them more than I'd say against any other team in the league. Um, of the view, and I agree with that, Philippa, by the way, that the next sort of thing, before we get onto a couple of individual performances, for instance, Alexander-Arnold looking especially rattled uh, in the first 15, 20 minutes, and also being targeted and not, I'd say being helped enough yeah. through that process. Yeah. Come on to that in a second. But first, Mo says there about not taking your chances. Salah is at the minute, and we've seen it in all of his Liverpool games so far, and I wonder whether or not we we end up talking about Salah in this context for five seasons. But he's so dangerous. He must be so terrifying to play against, but he is not so far, both in general in his Liverpool career and also in this game, quite being as ruthless as we could do with him being. Yeah, Um and I don't know if that's the type of player that he is or whether or not he's still a bit anxious because he's he's new into Liverpool and, you know, maybe that comes into it a little bit. But um, 
I mean, he had two or three opportunities, I think, yesterday before, um, even before Man City score. And um, I mean, there was one where he he, he got past uh, Otamendi into the box and then all he has to do is cross it for Firmino to tap it in. Um, and I actually think that's what he was trying to do and he just didn't quite get mm. it right. I don't think he was actually trying to shoot, um, but that's what it looked like because he went straight to the keeper. Um, there was one where he was clean one-on-one with with the keeper and he just, to me, he was just too obvious in what he was going to do because he opened his body up that much mm. that it was obvious that the only thing he was going to do was going to try and put it into the far far corner and <clears throat> it was just it ended up looking like a really easy save for, for Edison. Um, I kind of just want to go back a little bit though in, in relation to the, the defence. Um, when we when we look at like our own, we, we're, we're hypercritical, I think, of, of our own defence because we we see it week in, week out. We see the mistakes that they make. Um, I'm not saying that the that, that really good defenders, I'm not saying that they're good as a unit, I'm not saying any anything like that, but... I think our main issue is the way that we play. It's high risk. So if we ever lose the ball, we're put under so much pressure that there's that many gaps all over the place. And I think that's basically what happened yesterday uh, for the first goal. But if you look at City, and you know that was who was playing yesterday, they, for me, made a lot more mistakes at the back than what we did before that first goal. They made a lot more and their defence so throughout the keepers, the whole of the back four, five, however many you want to go. I've looked at both squads. Ours cost £80 million and theirs cost £300 million. And people just think that throwing money at, at what we class as better players is going to resolve the situation. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think it's more to do with how we're set up and how we play. It's high risk. And so, is that, are you criticising the manager for, for that setup and for that setup at the Etihad? I'm not necessarily criticising the manager. What I'm saying is, I think that we're going to have to just accept that we're going to play this way. This is this is how he wants us to play. This is what he wants us to do. And you know, we could get any number of defenders in, but I'm I'm not convinced that it would change. Anything about our defence? I'm I'm just not convinced by it. See, I, I'm see, I'm all right with that, I, and I think I think most are. I think most people recognise that that a Klopp team is going to play kamikaze. He's yeah. going to play on the edge, and every now and again, I think we we will get a bit of a spanking when things don't go our way. I think that will happen. I think we might have to take that. It was certainly you know um, indicative of his time at Dortmund. Um, every now and again, when the wheels would come would fall off, they would really fall yeah. off. But you know. I, I I genuinely feel that in that first twenty, it, I don't feel we were playing with the intensity. I don't think Klopp's looking at that in that no. first twenty minutes and thinking, no. thinking we're playing well. No. We, you know, and, and I think this is the thing. This is why I'm so frustrated about that. Forget you know, I'm, I'm just parking the instance that followed. They, in my opinion, Manchester City were there for the taking in that first twenty minutes. Yeah. They were all over the shop, yeah. and 
you, you know, neither, neither team looked great or have you, but we were the team that looked effective. We looked effective. And if we'd have been more ruthless, yeah, okay, we can talk about Salah and we can talk about one or two other situations. But I also think if we'd have been more Liverpool, if we'd have been more full throttle, if we'd have been more indicative of the, of the, the type of brand of football and mentality and front-footed approach that the manager wants, then I think we could have been 3-0 up yeah. before they've even scored. I honestly felt they went into that game, City, they looked terrified. They absolutely looked all over the shop. The the goal comes and takes the, the, the wind out of our sails a little bit, but I don't think that the wind was ever fully in it. I don't think we were ever committed. And if we'd have just committed to that first 20 minutes, I think we'd have been out of sight. I, I genuinely think that. Salah. So, so again, on that, I'm going to do the same thing that I just said to Philip. But is that is that, that the manager's basically trying to manage the game a little bit too much when he should just send them out and say, do your thing, boys? Or is that them? wilting a little bit when the pressure's on or is that a question that I've asked you that you can obviously never answer because you've not been present in the dressing room and you're not amongst the team I know I'm, I'm, I'm sort of saying you know is that I never th- believe that the, that the manager is setting them out though to be that to, to be that passive. Uh, passive yeah that's mm. the word I, they were they were almost I mean there's an, there is an element of you going to Manchester City you are going away from home and I suppose that and we've seen a, quite a number of times with, with um, since Klopp's been managed there's, there's been games where we've felt the opposition out and, and we've taken a little bit of time to grow into the game but I'm not totally convinced. My, my thing on this is just to just to come in is that if, for me, if if, if Salah squares to Firmino and Firmino taps it in, it suddenly looks a lot like when we went there and won four one. Yeah, because yeah. when we went there and won four one, it wasn't like we were snapping into everything. What was happening though? We was we were absolutely clinical when we won it back and then countered. Yeah. We were absolutely clinical and we undid. We just undid them three times, and it wasn't like there was tons and tons of aggression. It was just in the moment it flips, sure, and if that goes in the back of the net, yeah. we're going. We're one 0 up, and then we're all going. And they're going, oh, it's just like that again. Everyone's going, it's just like that again. It's been a lot of closing down of passing lanes, a lot of people being clever, a lot of, oh, you know, you're making it hard for them, the shapes, the shapes, and suddenly we're all having conversations saying, I tell you what, the shape was good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, Certain trigger points, the team coming alive, being sharp in and, mind, being sharp in movement. And this is the tightrope that it walks, I think. And this yeah. is where I do feel a little bit sorry for the players in that this is the tightrope that they walk. If Salah squares it and Firmino goes 1-0 and we go on and, and at least say we get an half-time 2-0, if you know what I mean. Because I agree with you that they 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 looked... If we go 1-0 up, I think they're psychologically shattered going into yeah. Liverpool Definitely. again and this is happening to us again. Definitely. And I think, therefore, we get in at worst case 1-0, possibly a 2-0. And... Everything that we're sort of saying is what we're currently now looking at is going, I'd like to have seen more of, you know, saying, well, that, that, but that was the plan, if you see what I mean. But that said, I think, Stu, I sort of agree with you on the other side, and I think there's a game based that it needed, it wouldn't have been a bad thing to see, for instance, Henderson rattle someone on 15. That that wouldn't have been a bad, like, I don't think that's the instruction, I don't think it's the plan, but at times I just sort of think if you're in the football match and you're the player, there's an argument to say, yeah, this fellow's got his plan, but I'm in this game here, and I just know that if I if if, if I absolutely find some sort of way to rattle someone, whether it's Henderson, whether it's Chan, whether it's Wijnaldum, you suddenly go, and oh, it's all a bit different. Yeah, and it sends a message to everyone else around you. It lifts the rest. Of, I think when it is a bit passive like that, we've we've spoken. In the do you think past. that informs the red card? How do you mean? Because do you think he's? I do you think? Well, I mean, I think we've seen this season, man. I want to be one of the leaders on the pitch, and one of the things that's in my head with the red card is I. I think it's an opportunity, but I'm not. I don't. Think, I'm not saying for a second he's trying to do him. I don't think he is in the slightest. What I'm thinking is, is Mane just thinking to himself, "I'm going to show this sort of full-blooded commitment here that I don't think the lads behind me have been showing." Quite I much. think. I think that's a very high possibility. I think 
there's a lot of things that I could talk about. In fact, all three of you made points that I want to jump on at some, <laughs> at some point, but it's trying to thread them all together. So let's, let's work backwards. I think when it comes to our attitude in the first 20 minutes, I don't, I agree. There's no way Klopp would have told them to go out there and be that passive. However, what I feel that might have happened is there might be a little bit lost in translation between his demeanor and the change in how his demeanor is in regarding speaking about those other games compared to what he's normally like. And we've seen it in the past. There was a couple of instances last season where he intimated that a draw wouldn't be the worst result. And lo and behold, we either drew or lost the game. I think a lot of the time, the players are seeing the difference and thinking, oh, well, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't be gung-ho. Maybe we should kind of... They're thinking about it a lot more than they should be because he doesn't talk about it all the time, if you see what I mean. And that informs it. However... That's where you're looking for your leaders, your captain, to be able to see in game, hang on, yes. this, isn't, this isn't what we need to be doing. Someone needs to get in there, mm-hmm. definitely. I think that's what needs to change there. Um, going back to Mo Salah in particular, from what I've seen of him across his career, he's over one in three chances, man. Now, the difference with him to a lot of other, other one in three chances, man, is it always seems to be the third chance. So... <laughs> And the thing with him is that he's got such gifts attacking-wise, he's always confident that he's going to get that third chance. That's why he's, you never see him not want the ball after missing a chance. He's always getting in the position. He's always hanging out at the back post looking for knock-ins. He's always doing most of the right things. We just need someone to sit down with him, work on his technique... Robbie Fowler, if you're listening, I'm sure you've got a few afternoons off you can go to Melwood <laughs> and just teach him how to put the ball in, in a little bit more precise manner. And then going all the way back to what Philippa said regarding the defence and how we set up, I agree 100% that the difference, uh, the, the way that Klopp plays means that it is high risk and you're going to do that. What I would say though, <clears throat> if we know we're always going to play that way and we're always going to be susceptible to the same issues... The only real way to uh, upgrade it is to upgrade the quality of the players. So if we've got better players playing that system, we're a lot less likely to be susceptible to those mistakes. That's probably, rather than changing the system, that's the only real way we're going to ever solve those problems. And to come back on, on that, Mo, that's where I have an issue with the fact that Clavin's still the third best centre after the club. Exactly. And I would have to agree with you there. I think... For, from whatever it is that Klopp sees in him and for however well he has played isolatedly in other big games, we needed him. The thing with being third choice centre-half is that you may not get a run of games. You may not get the chance to build up to speed. You need to be ready to go when you are called upon. And that's why I think... In some ways, teams who play with three centre-halves are better off from the get-go because if you've got three lads in your team you think, right, I'm happy with them, they're all good enough to start this game now, then that means you're going to have those options. It's almost like you have to have an extra one. And with Claven, I mean, as much as you can say the difference between Claven and Lovren isn't massive in terms of mistakes and you could stat it to death, the fact of the matter is, is that the whole team shape changes when uh, when you swap them over. And at the moment, 
it has too much of an effect. If you want to have a third centre-half, he's got to be able to go in there and it'd be seamless. And at the moment, that is just not the case. I very rarely talk about referees and I very rarely refer to lads on the internet uh, doing this show, <laughs> uh, Stu. But there is an issue, I think, with lads on the internet who've decided that Lovren's absolutely shit and therefore there's no difference between Lovren and Clavin. For me, there's a gulf between Lovren and Clavin. That you can think that Lovren, and I'll, I'll go back to the thing I say all the time, Lovren is good enough for us to be starting centre-half for a side that finishes in the top four because he literally was starting centre-half for a side that finished in the top four last season. That is a thing that happens. It is a fact. It cannot be disputed. It is a fact and it is a thing that happens. However, Clavin is not good enough to be, I think, to be... Oof, I'm trying to remember way to phrase it, to be starting at, for a side that's got genuine, genuine ambitions of, of of doing the business, if you know what I mean. And you can argue that Lovren may not be good enough to be a starting centre-half for a side that wants to win the title. And I'm, I'm happy to have that discussion and have that argument. But the drop-off, the drop-off is just far, far, far too great. And I actually wonder, and feel free to stop me on this one, but I actually wonder that whether or not Lucas plays that game yesterday, if Lucas is still at the club yeah. ahead of Clavin, and that in and of itself should be a concerning factor. Um, okay. <laughs> right. We're doing this now. Oh, yeah, I've got, I've, got, I've got a bit to say on this. Um, okay. Clavan. And, uh, and hear me out on this. Hear me out. Let, let me get the full full stream out. Clavan's a good player in the sense that um, he's a Premier League footballer. Uh, he plays for Liverpool. You know, um, he's, he's... I've heard you say before, Neil, about... The worst player at your club is better than any of the best lads you saw on your playground as a kid. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they're of a certain standard. But being good enough to start for Liverpool, regular, um, the difference between those players and your Clavans are the is consistency levels. We've seen Cla- Clavan had a decent game recently. I can't for the life of me at the moment remember which, which one it was. Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace. Palace. People, people came off the, away from that and going, yeah, did all right there, Clavan. Yeah, yeah, sound. Um, and, but it, the difference between him and a better player, a player who's good enough, is someone who is more consistent in how in that level of performance. So, in my opinion, Dejan Lovren is not as consistent as it would seem Van Dijk, but he is more consistent than Clavan. Yeah. Uh, the very notion of, as you say, he was the centre half starting. In a team that finished in the top four, you know, would represent that, would show that. I've got no problem with rotation, the idea of that. But when you're going away from home to one of the best teams, there's a reason why you should start your best lads. And that's simply because even rotating one or two, you're not mitigating the risk of the one or two coming in not being at their best because they are inconsistent. So, it seems a pointless exercise to bring in a centre-half who's not as consistent or not as consistently good as the one you're dropping away from home at the Etihad. It just seems a bit mad. It's an unnecessary risk. Mm. We've got Burnley coming up. Clavans. <laughs> it's an unfortunate. Yeah. It's an unfortunate team to choose actually, because then Clavan, you know, one of his one of his first bad performances was away at Burnley. Yeah. But, but you know, the idea of you got Burnley coming up, you got Leicester. We started in the against Burnley up. last year in the two-one. Yeah. So you, it wasn't great. He wasn't, but you know, you, you've got Leicester in the League Cup coming up. You know, there's opportunities to rest players at, then. Now isn't the moment going away from home to City. So, I, you know, I've got no problem with rotation. I've got no problem with clever rotation during the course of the season. But the idea of doing it in such a big game 
it's there's, unnecessary. There's lads who are listening to this. I'll go back to Mo then, Philip. There's lads who are listening to this, listening to me and Stu here, who will rightly be saying, yeah, but Clavin started the 1-0 against City last season at Anfield. And we keep the clean sheet and et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah, yeah, you know, Mo, that's the, the, the problem with this is, again... And this is often where these conversations end up. You are sort of talking about very, very fine margins. Mm, it is fine margins. And it's also the difference between a, f- a team at their best and a team not quite at their best. And when you're thinking about t- players who can be backups or come in, you've got to be thinking about the best possible, or sorry, the worst possible scenario that we are in and that they need to come in and be able to deal with it. If, if he only plays well when the rest of the team are playing well, then he's not the kind of person you want to be bringing in uh, as, as a substitute. And I would also say this, um, if you look at Clavin, we, we've said, you're right, he's a good player. He plays for us. He's been scouted by us, obviously. Where in the Premier League do you think he would start? I've been thinking about this over the course while we've been talking about it. We, I mean, he wouldn't start for us, obviously. Would he start for Everton? Would he start for yes. West Brom? He's best, than, he's best than Ashley Williams. Okay, Everton's probably not the greatest example. But <laughs> I think there are a lot of teams lower than us where I don't think he would start. I mean, classic example, We watched, I watched Stoke play and they had three centre-halves, uh, a reject from Chelsea, a reject from Porto and a reject from Tottenham. And Zuma and Wimmer were Tottenham and Chelsea's third choice centre-halves last season. I think both of them are better than Clavin. And I think that's where we need to be. That's the fairest place to be ranking him, I think. This, just to, I don't want to, I don't want to slaughter the player, but this, I I agree with Mo that I would rather have Zuma and I would rather have Wimmer. Uh, Wimmer, I'm less sure of. Zuma, I am relatively sure of. This goes back to, put Clavin to one side, Philip, let's talk about the manager and the decisions that were made over the summer. The idea that the only way in which he was going to improve his centre-back options was to buy one who he thought was absolutely fantastic and knock either Matip or Lovren, presumably Lovren, but we can't be sure, into third place. That was that was the attitude had by Liverpool, whereas there's a pragmatic discussion, which is that you buy a centre-back who can compete with the first two if you can't get Van Dijk, and then you go from there because we've got football matches to play and win right now. There's probably, I mean, you mentioned too there that Nathan Aki was another one um, who went to Bournemouth. Um, I think our problem is that maybe the players that um, were available... One, either the selling team wouldn't ever sell to us. So in that case, it would have been Chelsea. They'd have never let us have Zuma. They'd never let us have Aki, in my opinion. Um, I don't think Tottenham would have sold us Wimmer. I'm not convinced on him. I've not seen enough of him. Um, And the other one that was getting banded about a lot was uh, Johnny Evans at West Brom. And he didn't move. Yeah, he didn't move in the end. Um, You know, I... Hull would have sold us Maguire. Burnley would have sold us Keane. I yeah, think, I, and I don't like. I don't think Keane's that good a player, but Burnley would have sold us Keane. And my point, my point isn't just those specific players, Philip. My point is there was surely a centre back we could get in who could compete with the first two, if not absolutely take their place, Alan Van Dyke. And we could also have gone after two centre backs within the window, gone after Van Dyke and another one, and had the attitude of well, if it means that we end up selling someone or using Joe Gomez more at right back or sending them out on loan, so be it. That's the move. Yeah, that's what we should have done. Yeah, gone for two and. Maybe in the end it ended up being where those players, you know, who maybe would have um, been been of interest to Klopp had actually already moved, and there you, th- you've kind of missed out on the opportunity. I think one one thing as well that I noticed is that Klopp kind of had the best argument against his policy himself 
12 months earlier when he was talking about Paul Pogba. It's like, if you go and spend 93 million or 75 million in the case on Van Dyke on one player, what do you do if he gets injured? If, you, if that's your only plan, what do you do if he gets injured a week into the season? Yeah. So you, you, you've achieved your objective, but then it's instantly ripped away from you. You need, like, you, you, you're right, Neil. Running a club requires pragmatism at all levels. And I think that we were a bit negligent in that respect. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it, we're stuck in this in this situation now, which we've all feared, and, it, and it's been mentioned on many shows. And Neil's even mentioned it today that Clavon now is is third centre back, and it's like I said before, it's it's just consistency levels. You want to inc- you want to mitigate risk at all times. So if you want to if you want to improve your chances, you talk about, cent- you talk about so, centre halves. You, you want to mitigate abs- risk. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know if we talk about listen, Dexy Lovelin's got his critics and 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 rightly so at, at times. But let's say he plays well. I don't know, sixty five percent of the time and and thirty five. He's, he's risky well it might be the case with Clavan that he's playing well 50% of the time and 50% it's, it's risky so 50% he might go away from home at City last year and he might do alright you know what I mean all these things because they can happen but it's about mitigating risk and therefore those small marginal gains you've got to look at in the transfer market too this is why I think the, the shout of, of going for two centre-halves that would have been the move mm. you know you go for your primary but you'd also go for someone who is going to improve your, your, your factor of mitigating that risk He's going to narrow that percentage margin of risk between what what is between Clavan and and Dexy, if you want to put a number on that. So, and then at least you walk away with one. If your primary doesn't come off, you walk away with one extra centre half in the bag who's consistently better than than Clavan. He's just too much of a risk for these games. And you know, I think I, I think the club is going to learn a lesson. Though I do yeah. I do feel that the club will learn a lesson, and I do I, I do think they'll act upon it. I hope they do. Um... It's 1-0 um, and it's the sending off. As far as I'm concerned, having, lots of people were talking about the laws yesterday and this is a conversation which is basically around your interpretation, I'll start with you Mo, of whether or not this serious foul plays a red card and it's defined thus, a tackle or a challenge that endangers the safety of an opponent who or uses excessive force or brutality must be sanctioned as serious foul play. Any play lunges at an opponent in challenging for the ball from the front, from the side or from behind using one or both legs with excessive force or endangers the safety of an opponent is guilty of serious foul play. This is, I think, a definition around reckless, which is a yellow card, versus excessive, which is a red card, and that's the beginning, middle, and end of it. And that I think that there's not, there's not, there's not some sort of grand. I don't think it's a terrible decision, is what I'm driving no. at. I think it's a debatable decision, I, and, and we're, de- we're debating those two words. And from this point on, was the game changed, and we'll go into what that means. But th- it is a debatable decision. It is whether or not this is reckless versus whether or not this is excessive. Yeah, no, you're right. And um, I mean, me and Philip had a great debate about it yesterday for starters, but. I think it's one of those situations where, the again, like I said about the game in itself, the further away you get and the more perspective and the more you look at the actual parameters of the challenge, I agree with you. I mean, to be honest, my first instinct when I saw the referee walking towards him was, he's going for his back pocket here. And when you look at the, the, the term excessive is probably where there's the most grey area because... 
you can say it was extreme force because, I mean, he's going at speed and he's going and he, and he jumps at the point of contact. If anyone's ever watched someone doing long jump or triple jump, I wouldn't want to stand in the middle of the sandpit while someone was doing that and be connected with it. So it's going to be extreme force. It's going to be, but is that excessive? Is that too much that he shouldn't have done? That's the grey area. But if you're looking at it from the referee's perspective, I think he's fully entitled by the laws. He's fully entitled. The the, the parameters set down by the law, Mane's tackle comes within that. So I can see where it happens. I can see also why some people would say maybe, maybe not. It reminds me very much of the Nani situation for Man United in the Champions League a few years back against Real Madrid where he kind of didn't see the attacker, but his foot was high and he caught him and he got sent off and everyone went from, oh no, the game's gone, you can't tackle him like that. And then with perspective, people look back in and say, yeah, actually that was a red card. I think it's a similar situation. Stu, reckless or excessive? Um, it's, it's hard to really put a label on it. I mean, at the time I was, I was, very, I was very angry at, at the decision, but, you know, in the, uh, with a bit of time, uh, and cold light a day uh, to be honest I'm sugaring my shoulders at it and going you know what it's just unlucky it's 50-50 it's one of them I, I've not got a problem with the referee showing a red oh, uh, you know if he'd have shown a yellow up, I'd have been obviously a lot happier with that but I think it could have it could have been it could have been either way and I think that's why you're seeing the debate you know different professionals and different referees are arguing about it on the telly and because it's just one of them where it's only it's one of them where it just falls in between the laws of the game it's only you can put a label on it I think it's just it's one of them where it's, it's do, you think, a, do you think it doesn't, what doesn't help is that he's that fast yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like he's literally that I think fast. That, I, think, I think there's loads of things that doesn't help. I think he's that fast. He is quite a. It's going to sound weird, but he's quite a flexible, bendy guy. You know what I mean? And you see him. I've seen him loads of times with the ball on the floor, and he retrieves balls that are that are you know too far away from him. He manages to hook them back in. He's, he's quite a stretchy, bendy guy, mm-hmm. and you know he's very flexible, and he, he goes for it because he thinks he can get it. But the goalie. The goalie's out really quick. Fair play to the goalie. But then the goalie does a weird thing and he's kind of ducking down. Is the goalie reckless? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He, he, arguably so. I, I mean, I, I heard someone say um, that uh, there was a little bit of talk on the ground when it happened that you know, we're sending the goalie off. And it, it was just, you know, when you look at it back, you see that that's that, that's not that wouldn't have been the right decision, but it's just as weird. He he lowers his head and kind of ducks. When you look at it, when you Mane's foot at the time that he was going for the ball was actually only about nipple height. <laughs> it's about chest height, and at the moment he's trying to um, toe-poke the ball, so his foot is kind of pointed and it's fairly flat, but it's then it's the follow-through of his movements that he can't control mm. then that forces his foot up, and it looks like the studs are showing, and that's when it goes into the lad. And I think it's just one of these situations which the manager said it best, it was just unlucky. So I kind of look at it and go... Uh, I'm dead frustrated that that happened I'm re- and that took the game away from us and it killed it as a spectacle but I don't think it's anyone's fault in particular what I do think and I know we'll go on to this in a moment what I do think you know the fault lays squarely at our door is how we react afterwards you know it's what comes next that is the major issue not not actually the instance itself I think Philippa I'm really confused <laughs> I think that's the best way to put it because when I look at that the reason I have an issue with it being a red card is because what we're saying there is that if a player is running through one goal um, and the ball is there to be won that if the keeper comes out he is not entitled to go and try and win that ball 
that that for me is the message that's coming out. Well, I think he's entitled to win it. He's just got to win it. <laughs> but 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 to me, whether he wins it or not doesn't change whether or not it's reckless. That that to me is where where yeah. I'm confused. Reckless or excessive because, force. Yeah, to me, you can win it, and there can still be excessive force. Yeah, but. It you doesn't know, get the, given, the, the, but there can still be excessive force. The city keeper wins it. Has he got excessive force? Has he gone in too hard? Or do you know what I mean? It's or is it just because it's the studs are showing? And is that what he's been sent off for? Um, you know, maybe then the better way to look. I at think. It is I this, think if you're where the referee is, it doesn't look good. No, no, it doesn't true. look good. And that's. It. I mean, when I was watching it on TV because I wasn't at the game yesterday. Um. Gary Neville said straight away, "This really isn't going to look good on the on the replay, you know." And he was he was adamant about that, and he was saying, "You know, no matter what way you look at this, it's not going to look good." But it's a split second; it is literally point one of a second or something that that has meant the difference between him winning that ball and not winning it and getting sent off. And I'm just really confused as to to what sort of message it sends out as to what happens in future if uh, Mane or anybody else is in a similar sort of situation is what we're basically saying is if you're an outfield player and the keeper comes out, you are not entitled to try and get that ball. One thing I will, two, two things I would say. One, if it was the other way around and Mane had got there a couple of split seconds quick enough to get the ball before the keeper and the keeper had taken him down, He's off. He's off. Um, yeah. No, there's there's not even a debate. Second thing, because I know that one of the things we referenced was the um, Salah Bellerin incident at home to Arsenal. Yeah. If Mane goes through it with his head, like Salah did in that incident, then we're not talking about this either. Because if if he goes into it with his head and he head but does a diving <laughs> headbutt at him, I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to get a red card because it doesn't look as excessive because the ball's in the air, so he's going through it with his head. That's what's meant to happen. I think because the ball's in the air and he's going through it with his foot, that adds to the element of excessiveness, which gives the referee, along with the speed of the incident, what he thinks is enough uh, criteria to give him a record. But this still confuses me because <laughs> if he goes through it with his head, he's still going to go in with excessive force because he's trying to win the ball. Well, no, he's going to be going in with force, but I don't think that's the thing. I don't think it's excessive because the element of the fact that the ball's in his air, in the air, so it's natural for him to be going through his head. When the ball's in the air, it's less natural for it to be going with his foot. So that's where you could term it the being excessive compared to non-excessive. I, I, you know, for me, for me, you, you, this is where you, you're always going to have instances like this in terms of you're trying to write laws around a sport that is fluid. Yeah. This is not a static yeah. sport like baseball. This is a this is a fluid sport that not every instance can naturally fit exactly into how a law has been yeah. been written. Um most you can get a, a decision that fits you know closely to the rule of law, but in this case I think it it falls way in between because you when Neil talks about um reckless or excessive force. Well, the idea of a reckless challenge comes from a, a point of view where you had no right to go for that ball. You were so yeah. late, but you had no right to go for that ball. Well, everyone who's observed this game, everyone who's talked about this instance has said, man, I had to go for the ball. Definitely. It was yeah. there to be won. He had to go for it. So in that regard, it's not reckless. If you take the risk, though, if you make the decision 
to take that risk and go for it at that speed, with your foot, at that height, and you don't get there, then there's an argument of, well, on impact it becomes excessive force because there's no other way you were going to get to the ball other than to have the momentum of excessive force by going in with your foot at that, at that angle, at that speed. So it's it's one of those where it doesn't... I don't think you're ever going to find someone that, that, that this answer. decision no. fits comfortably with, but you know, you've just got to make the best of the law. And I think it's it's a 50-50 decision. It's one of them. One of them. Um, what happens after that? Philippa, <laughs> uh, I'd say there's an argument that it's, I'm trying to think about last season, it's probably Liverpool's worst 10 minutes since Bournemouth away uh, mm. after the red card. I think, yeah. I think the manager goes berserk on the sidelines and I'm... Very much in favour of the manager in general. I like how he goes berserk on the sidelines in general. This is an instance to possibly pull them in and say, lads, this is how we get to half time. Rather than be talking to John Moss, this is a time to say, lads, this is how we get to half time. There's also an argument that the lads on the pitch have got a lot of time here while the goalkeeper's down and getting treatment where they know they're down to, to 10 men to be getting each other in and going, lads, this is how we get to half time at 1 0. Liverpool basically concede an offside goal, um, which is offside, and you can say, well, it's well defended because they've held the line, possibly. And then they concede a very, very similar goal. Um, it is worth pointing out that City's crossing in the 10 minutes before half-time was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And I think that at times you've got to take... City are brilliant in the 10 minutes. City's best 10 minutes of the game is the 10 minutes after Liverpool have gone down to 10 men, leading up to half-time. They put three phenomenal balls in. Aguero misses one. Uh, one's disallowed for offside and he's just scores the other. So that's worth pointing out that City are yeah. brilliant. But Liverpool are nowhere near good enough. No, um... I think it's really different. I mean, my head completely went, so I can't really criticise <laughs> the manager or the players for their heads going it as well. Um, they, get, I, they do get paid a lot of money yeah, for their heads they, not they, to go. It's kind they, of their job. <laughs> yeah. They do get paid a lot of money. Um, I, I kind of, again, like we're talking about small margins and, you know, we've we've also got to remember quite how close Liverpool were to actually getting into half-time at 1-0. Um, you know, the, if, they, if they'd have managed to somehow just hang on and then regrouped at half-time, I think, you know, one thing I don't think Salah comes off at half-time because I think at 1-0, Klopp will still look at it and go, you know, there's a chance here that even they could go down to 10 men with the way that Otamendi was playing. You know, there was a chance that, you know, we could literally just dig it out and Salah on the break could take his third chance because he had his two, exactly. maybe his third one come along. I just I just think that the heads went and I I, I really don't know how how when your head's gone and Klopp's head had gone as well, how you manage to get yourself under control and then think logically and go, right, I need to get everybody across. I need to get Henderson in here. I need to tell him this is what we need to do just to get to half time. It's it's really difficult. And when you when you're there and you're in the heat of the moment, you know, we can look at this logically afterwards and go, right, because they scored that goal, this is what should have happened. Mm -hmm. But when you when you're in there and you're in the moment, it's very, very difficult to have for me, personally sat there, when all that happened to think, right, Klopp needs to do this, the players need to do that. I wasn't thinking like that. So, all right, they get paid an awful lot of money to, to think like that, but I do think it's a very, very difficult situation. I'm not sure that there was a a perfect way to go about things after, after that sending off. 
they're not Alexander Arnold. Alexander Arnold, we said before, first fifteen minutes was was rattled. Uh, Stu, they're not. This is not their first rodeo. Looking at them there, the goalkeeper who I actually think has probably is probably Liverpool's man of the match across the course of the ninety minutes. Uh, so it, I think it's limited in terms of what he can do. But the rest of them, all right, let's give Albi Moreno a pass because I think we just would uh, in terms of knowing them. But Matip should be better, more experienced. Uh, Clavin is in his early 30s which is part of the wider Clavin discussion Jordan Henderson's Liverpool's captain he's 27 he's England's captain uh, Emre Chan is and wants a contract befitting that of a senior professional I'd say he is a senior professional Jeannie Wijnaldum is a senior pro um, my point is is that before we even get to the, 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 the two remaining members of the front three there's enough on that pitch I think to say right lads this is what this is what now happens for the next for the next eight minutes the eight minutes that was that was going to follow. That, I totally agree with that because they're the five players that I hold accountable for it. They're, within that five group of five players in those central areas, we I'm going to give a shout out to Robbo here because Robbo you know talks all the time about character, and you're looking at that point in time you need your leaders. Um, I, listen, Jordan Anderson gets a lot of stick from a lot of. Crackers people, in my in my opinion, really. Um, but he, he didn't do himself justice yesterday. This was a moment where we needed to get the lads together. You mentioned before there was a long break in play. But even after that, when the tide is very clearly coming at us, we should have been getting a grip. We should, someone should have been, or more than one person, should have been getting a grip from those central areas, pulling the midfield together because there were too many gaps. The centre-halves, you know, we you have a more vocal centre-half there. He's getting into someone, you're holding it together. I do think I do think that City are literally, literally the the worst team to play in these situations because of the way they they um, they patiently move the ball from side to side, they switch the play, and then they've got the lad who I think, even though he's not a wide player, when he does float into wide areas, he is the most dangerous crosser of the ball in the league. And we were on the receiving end of it last year as well um, with the Bruyne. I think he, his delivery is just when he plays well, he's astonishing. Oh my god, he's some player. Um, and so, he's, he's I, so unfo- the, just to talk about him, just just for sixty seconds, Stu. The thing that grabs me about him is he's so unfussy in that he's, there's nothing showy about anything that he does at all. It's just pure, unadulterated, brilliant function. He's honestly, it's just everything he does when, when when he's on it. It never looks. It never looks like a truly great ball until you watch it back about three times and you go, "That's nothing fancy." That's yeah. a truly great ball, and they were truly great balls. I read somewhere not so long ago, and I think I saw the, I think I might have even seen an interview with him where he was talking about it um, growing up. And he, this is heartbreaking, this, but he was a red. It's just soul destroying because he is he's a special player. I mean, you, what you're talking about there is what's going on upstairs with him mentally. He is unflappable. He just goes about his business. He's a, a model pro, and it this seems like there's nothing he can't do. I mean, we we, we associate him with the more attacking elements of the game, but he was one of the essential players who I spoke about earlier on in the pod. Uh, he was brushing off our lads with ease in tackles in central areas at you know at the start of the game. Um, he is he's a special special talent, um, but you know. Uh, what I didn't see and maybe even if we'd have done these things it still might not have had any impact we still may well have not been able to stop them because they were really good in that 10 minutes but that's not the point the point is we didn't we, we didn't do these things anyway there was a lack of organisation and there was a lack of, of leaders getting a grip of lads and that shouldn't 
That should not fall only at the door of Jordan Henderson. No. For those who are out there going no. to sl- slate him for, for being a captain or whatever, it is not only his responsibility, but it is his as well. Um, but there were Matip there, you, is, is he a your monster tall centre-half? I don't think I've ever... He's so quiet. He's, I mean, he's, he's yeah. a gentleman, isn't he? You hear him speak and he's a gentleman. And actually, we could do with a bit of a, a bit of a monster in there. We could do with someone we who... We need We do. We've said this before. We need a general. We need a bastard. We need someone who... We need some nasty lads. We need some gnarly lads. We need some lads who... Um, in those situations... You look at a Rafa Benitez team that we had, you know, we you were filled with them. We, we, we Mascaranos of this world. We, I don't believe Rafa Benitez's team concedes... That goal. I don't think I think he probably keeps it one nil to half time. That kind of runs on quite nicely to what I was gonna say is that we're talking a lot about the players here, and obviously there are things that they could be doing different. You got you I agree with you, there are certain players who should have been looking at it. To be honest with them, Ray Chan, he was more concerned with getting Manny off the pitch because he was still sitting there stunned like like someone that take cancel Christmas for it. <laughs> but when you look at the situation, it's tough because we're all thinking about great guys who the past, who we've had, the recent past, who would have reacted better in that situation. I'm thinking Jamie Carragher. I'm thinking Rafa Benitez on the touchline. I think if you had either of those two in place, the reaction that they have to that is very different. Like in those little times where you've got to kind of say, okay, change of plan bring it all in you do this you do this you do this the focus and calmness that he delivers those plans with Rafa probably kind of um, <laughs> against the way that Kara delivers those same instructions but it gives the players an idea it's like okay alright we know what we're doing it's like it's fine it's fine this is bad but we still know what we're doing we've still got something to do and the nature of the different people means that that hasn't happened. Now, whether that means that Klopp should be more like Rafa, no, Klopp's Klopp and Rafa's Rafa. But I think we need to develop within the group a better recognition of when to say, look, something has happened here. Because in game management, it's been an issue before. It's not the first time we've talked about this. And with a lot of the same set of players, I can think even off the top of my head. Europa League final. Europa League final. I'd go a little bit further back, say uh, FA Cup semi-final against Aston Villa. That game where, where um, we were one nil up at half-time, formation changes from Villa. We don't know how to deal with it. And we just basically lambs the slaughter. That whole point of being able to change things at a pace within game is the difference between, that gets you over the line to win so just all that, I just, I'm, not, I'm not correcting you because I, normally I just sort of let that sort of stuff go we won the up during the first half and they equalise Villa they do change it yeah, yeah. and what happens is Rodgers because Rodgers is trying to do in-game management because he's not leaving it to the players Rodgers changes formation three times in 45 minutes because that's Rodgers trying to get a grip of the game and rather than letting his players do it he at this point thinks I've got to do all this myself I've got to solve this because yeah. they won't and, and, and that becomes completely counterproductive because the players don't know what's going on Etc. Etc. Just on the come back to you, Mo. It is ten years ago since effectively what you can say. You know, it's 2017, 2007, eight, nine is sort of peak Benitez era for the sort of characters that you're talking about mm-hmm. within this. But I think football's changed since then because ten years is a long time in football. It is a long time. But to go, to sort of bring that into Stu's point, you think about that, that that Benitez side, which will be referenced in the context of, for instance, I mean, I was talking to someone last night on Twitter. Everyone forgets that in 2007, lots of people were saying Steven Gerrard shouldn't be Liverpool captain. This yeah. is very true. Loads of people were saying that in 2007. Like I would say that the majority majority of match goers were having a conversation about whether or not Gerard, Gerard should be Liverpool captain but that was partially because elsewhere in the side was Pepe Reina Jamie Carragher at that point even Arbaloa who I think we'd all acknowledge as a footballing character if you know what I mean uh, Xabi Alonso Javier 
pressure are now. Dirk Kout, mm-hmm. um, we're all playing for Liverpool at that stage. And this comes back to Stu's point, which is there's, there's five or six proper senior pros on that pitch. They should all, all be able to get a grip of one another and say that this is what we're doing. 100%. I think... The, the, uh, Jordan Henson is the one who we say takes the most stick because he's the figurehead, he's the captain. But in every great team, in every sport, if you look at the captain and ask a successful captain and ask him, why is he so successful? He'll say there's other leaders in that dressing room who are just as clear voices who can pick up the slack when I'm not there or at any other point. He's not having to drag 10 other people along or 14 other people along with it. That situation shouldn't just be down to the main man, the, the captain. And you're right about Steven Gerrard. And I think that's why, in our heads, the people who've been criticising the comparison between the two, they're thinking of Pete Gerrard. At, at, once he's developed and once he's learned all of the things that made him the player who he was. In terms of his captaincy career, Jordan Henderson's still probably around about 2005, 2006, if you look at the Gerrard comparison. So he's got plenty to learn, but that doesn't mean that he won't be able to do it. You know, Emery Chan yesterday, I think he's got all the attributes. When you look at yeah. and the way he started the season, you'd think, in the age of now, you'd think, okay, uh, in those situations, I would expect now when I look at Emery Chan, him actually to be having a way to be pulling mm. people together. He's got those leadership qualities. But I thought yesterday, and not for the first time, you know, mm. when, the, when the chips are down, I thought he played with a level of immaturity. I think he was trying to take responsibility, no, but single-handedly, um, you know, carrying the ball too much, he was going to do it himself. And actually, what, what he needed to do in that situation was all, almost take a step back have a look and have a word, have a strong word with the lads around them and organise. He's a central midfielder. There's a lot of talk that, you know, Juventus are interested in, will he take Kadira's place and all this type of stuff. If he's going to do stuff like that in the future, if he's going to be that kind of player, that kind of Kadira player, he needs to be an organiser as well in that position. He needs to understand that in-game management when you play central midfield. And it's not something that, I mean, you rightly say, it's not something that I think um, Stephen Gerrard did. At the, at the beginning, you know, it's something that came later, and I think that's that's a developmental point for Emre Can. He, he he needs to have a look at that, and the other lads alongside him, Genie Wijnaldum, not for the first time. The lad wasn't there. Mm-hmm. The lad just simply was not in that game. And I love Genie. I think he's a brilliant player. He can be a brilliant player, but Jesus, he can't go missing like this. I was going to say um, Henderson was poor as well. I think I think across the whole ninety, Philip, I think Henderson has a as as a as a poor game. It hasn't been a fantastic start to the season from him coming back from the injury. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't seem quite where you want him to be. And it's been strange with this midfield. They were brilliant against Arsenal. But they were brilliant against Arsenal. They were arguably pretty brilliant against Hoffenheim. But before that Hoffenheim game and certainly that Arsenal game, we were all a bit not convinced, not convinced, not convinced. And you're now back very much in the not convinced thing about the three of them collectively. Yeah, I I kind of feel like that they, they take a while to kind of get into the rhythm. Um, so... We saw it last season even, you know, those early games, they, they seemed to struggle to kind of work out what one another wanted to do and, and to kind of find the feet. Um, and I think against Hoffenheim and, and Arsenal was maybe them after pre-season finding that kind of rhythm with one another and un- that understanding between each other. And I think that's where the international breaks kind of like hinders us in a sense that they they kind of fall out of that rhythm again. Um, they go away, they play for the countries in completely different systems, different style of play. 
Um, and then they come back. I think they had one, maybe two training sessions before the City game and not, I don't know, just kind of losing that understanding and just that feel for the game. And I think that's where the first goal is like really crucial because um, I think it was the same for both us and for City and um, City basically got the goal and then they seemed to find their feet a bit and if if it had been the other way around and we'd have got that goal, we'd have got a bit more confidence, I think, and then the players would have settled more and we'd have seen a different Liverpool. Um, and I think I think that's what's crucial about first goals in any game. I I, I think that when when you're struggling a little bit, um, sometimes it just takes that goal to kind of just settle the side down. And we never got that yesterday. And then we got the sending off, and then it just all fell to pieces. Um, I just I, I don't want to read too much into it because I just I I th- I think it was one of those yesterday that literally could have gone either way. And I think that if if we'd have got that first goal, I genuinely think that we could have gone on and won three or four nil. It, it was one of those, um, or it could have ended up completely different. It was it was wide open. I agree with that very much. So I think first goals are always crucial. Uh, talking about the three in, in particular, um, I agree also that the rhythms and the different systems that they play internationally in midfield it probably makes more of a difference than it does in front or it does in defence because sometimes you've got you you're more likely to have different numbers of people, different kinds of people, whereas the defenders pretty much are always going to be defence. It might be a three or a four, but for the most part, when you're in central midfield, it does make a difference. However. I watched both of the Netherlands games over the international break. So sue me, I had nothing better to do. <laughs> Genie did not play very well in either of them. In fact, it wasn't even that he didn't play very well. He's just that he was hardly there. I mean, I, I actually made a, a joke to one of my friends. It was nice of um, him to get a rest during the France game because he. I'm not sure how many times he touched the ball. And I was, I was sure that he would play because, again, Club looking at it from a pragmatic perspective, he was one of the first back from his national duty. So, and he's naturally a fit guy in general. So you expect him to be able to do the turnaround. But he's in that kind of stasis state of form where he just kind of floats around and he doesn't really seem to be able to say, okay, I'm here, I'm doing this, this is my job, I've got to attack these two guys, or I've got to stop him getting the ball through to here. He just kind of kind of troubles along alongside it. Now when you compare it to Jordan Henderson, I think more of Jordan Henderson's problems with mental rhythm. I mean, when you look at what happened to England in those two games, when you put it on top of the fact of the mental weight of him adding the, uh, an England captaincy to the Liverpool captaincy and all of that entails, then you can see how, from a mental perspective, he will have been a bit drained and probably in his mind he was thinking, OK, I'm fine to go but he maybe wasn't fine. And he's the kind of guy who's going to go, no, no, I'm just going to power through it anyway. I'm Liverpool's captain. I've got to play this game. But I can see I can see circumstances that would mean he would be below par. Emery Chan, slightly different. I think he's an emotional guy. I think we can all see that. And you're right, Stu. I think he's trying to be that leader. He's trying to have, he's trying to inspire people, but he's just not quite focused in doing it. And this goes back to another thing, another drum I was beating over the summer, is that you need good, quality, experienced players to be in there, to guide them. That's what we're talking about, that 
Stephen Gerrard had that Jordan Henderson hasn't got, apart from when he had Stephen Gerrard. I mean, if you think about how much has Gerrard talked about McManaman, about Haman, when he was... McAllister. McAllister. <clears throat> Sorry, that's what I meant to say, McAllister. And, and Haman, and how important they were in developing him. And when you're playing in midfield, there are lots of things that will own, you'll only learn from doing or by seeing. And if you've got a guy next to you who has learned and who has done, who has seen, then you're that much further ahead. And... In general, I meant it more in terms of the Champions League and how much of a culture shock it's going to be to most of our squad who haven't played extensively in it. But within a group, within a group of players, you need a few more experienced bodies than we've got, I think, just to, in these situations, to draw the wagons in. Now, obviously, we spoke about Matip, we spoke about Clavan, he's experienced, he should be able to do it. But... With all due respect, doing it in an Estonian dressing room and doing it in a Liverpool dressing room is probably a little bit different. <coughs> okay. Um, there's the stat that Dan Kenneth, uh, hello Dan, put on Twitter, which is that in the last seven years, I think it was, uh, when games between the top six, one side's gone behind, gone down to 10 men for more than 30 minutes. The cumulative score is 44-6, uh, which involves a goal being conceded. I think it was every was it every 21 minutes or something or 30 minutes. Uh, I can't remember. But that, the, the crucial part of that is they only go one way, these games. Only one side has managed to hang on uh, to the same result. Uh, a Man City game, which went from 0-0 to 1-1. I think he said it was, uh, and every other game has gone in that direction. The halftime change is interesting in the context of this, Stu, whether or not the manager was thinking, let's shore it up and see if we can hang on, or whether or not the manager's thinking, um, thinking I'll rest the legs now because we've got a game Wednesday, uh, whether or not he's thinking some sort of combination of the two because that's his job, whether we like it or not, that is his job to think like that. We've been talking now for an hour and seven minutes, so we don't need to bang on about this because <laughs> the game's gone at this point. In real terms, the game's gone. I just think Liverpool, they should be better from 1-0 to 2-0. And they should also then be better from 2-0 to 3-0. They should actually be getting to 60, 60-65, I think, before they either buckle or begin to put a bit of pressure on City, where City begins to worry. Yeah, I, t- I tend to try and watch, and a bit sad really, but I tend to watch um, all of the different types of post-match interviews and all the different available media <laughs> that, that, that Klopp does in these situations, just trying to find a little nugget, and maybe I'm reading too much into this. But on the in-house one, immediately after the game, uh, the one in the tunnel, he actually said that uh, he's not normally angry at halftime, but he was angry at halftime today, uh, yesterday, because and he, he didn't really mention the Mane thing. He, he said I was I was angry because we weren't ruthless, uh, and it, the the the. the what I got from it really was he was angry at how wasteful we were in in those situations in that twenty minutes, uh, the situations that we got into, particularly with with Salah and I. I just wonder, and it's, I'm probably wrong, and it was there was probably a more strategic angle that was taken. Well, Salah just burns his head out, and he's yes. gone. I'm having you. Yeah, I wonder if that's the case, and he's just lost it um, because it didn't really make any sense. I think everyone looked at each other and went, "Why is he taking the only other lads with pace? You know, up, mm. up top, off really? You know, if you and he'd got, he got, he clearly was a danger to them. They were clearly worried about him. He surely, when we're down to ten men, we could do with that kind of pace. Um, I mean, it would have even made more sense, and I wouldn't want him to do this, but it would have even made more sense to take Firmino off and put um, uh, Salah through the centre just to have that escape route, uh, that release, because we couldn't get out of our own half. And you could see that was going to be the case as soon as the lads came out for the second half with that lineup. So, yeah, I just wonder if um, emotion has got, has got the better of him in that moment. I don't know. You think he's just decided to save the legs and being pragmatic? I... 
that's my thought on it. And I think, um, to, to be honest, when it got to half time, I, th- I was actually thinking that Mane is going to miss the next three games. I think there's actually some doubt over that. Now it might actually only be one. Really? But yeah, um, there's apparently that's the the rule. I don't know. I, I can't say 100% that that's the case. I'm, I'm hopeful that it is. Um, but part of me thought, well, if we're going to be without Mane, we need somebody with pace um, against other teams in the in those three games. And we can't afford to lose Salah for injury, um, maybe another sending off. I don't know. So whether or not he's just trying to take away some sort of risk for future games um, was part of my thought on it. Um, but I don't know if I'm just clutching at, at straws and and trying to find a way to to defend the decision. I'm not too sure, but that was my thought on it. I mean, I can see both those viewpoints and to a certain extent can certain extent can empathise with them. I think regarding uh, Klopp just getting annoyed with him, I can see it being a way of him saying, you've got to do better. Like, mm. that is not good enough. If you want to play for this team, then you've got to be better. And he's sending a message to him by that way, rather than him just being like, I'm just sick of the sight of you, you got to get off the pitch. But the problem with that is not only the message it sends to Salah, but if he doesn't actually verbalise that in the dressing room, then that message might not get through to the rest of the players. They think, oh, okay, he's taking Salah off, he's being pragmatic. Not to mention what Man City thought, I mean, um, Guardiola made a half-time change to try and deal with Salah, and then they realised he's not on the pitch. So they were doing cartwheels when he came off. So I can understand it from that perspective. I still don't agree with it. Regarding the pragmatism part of it, in terms of, oh yeah, the game's gone, we need to protect Salah, I can see that. But is the game gone? I mean, essentially, it's 2-0, we're away against a very good team, down to 10 men. But we've got a referee who's been known to make really strange decisions. There's already been one controversial decision. Are we really saying it's beyond his uh, <laughs> possibility he's going to make another one? And often he's on a yellow. And yeah. so is Fernandinho, by yeah. the way, yeah. who are the, who is equally as key in protecting Manchester City's defence. And he's Fernandinho and the way and how he plays is the main difference between why our defence gets more exposed than theirs does. Because we don't play with a Fernandinho type player. We play in a slightly different way with everyone doing similar jobs. But anyway, that's kind of getting... And Fernandinho was sent off three times last year. He was sent off three times last year and he loves a tackle. He's one of the lads. If you look at the two guys next to him in central midfield, De Bruyne and Silva, they're not making loads of tackles. It's down to him. It's his job. So I'm not saying that we should be going out there trying to target them getting the men sent off. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 I can see that there will probably should have, if, if, if talking about characters of the past and whatever, if Carol was in the situation, you know he'd be saying that to the players. But we can't say that that's not a likely scenario. The idea that the game was a write-off at halftime for me, is not acceptable. When you add on the fact that it's a direct rival we're playing against, and when you can think about the games against the direct rivals, we, we got fourth by one point last year, and we beat Arsenal twice. So those games are so important. To say that that is not worth trying to win is sending the wrong there's, message to us and the players and the opposition. There's something in this, Stu, where... I think it's a strange thing because I've gone from before so it's discussing too much emotion. It's interesting Guardiola comes out post-match and says these matches are so hard, 11 versus 10. That 
you do wonder, and this is back to the conversation around managers asking players to do stuff that at times we can't see, we can't be completely aware of, whether or not now there's almost too much, certainly at this stage of the season, too many sides too prepared to accede to reality, to sort of go, well, this is the, this is the realistic situation, so what are we going to do about it? What can we do in this scenario? Because so many others before, et cetera, et cetera, it's only September, just come back from the first international break, that... I'd have quite liked to have seen some howling at the moon from Liverpool. I'd have quite liked to have seen maybe one or two strange things, maybe one or two bad tackles, genuinely bad tackles, maybe one or two, uh, one or two bits of madness. Maybe the idea that we find, you know, lash matter up front. Do you know what? Like, I'm not. I'm, I know it's. I'm, I'm being ridiculous, but I wouldn't have minded seeing one or two slivers of slight ridiculousness to say, no, no, no. As far as we're concerned, this thing isn't dead because th- I do agree with Mo. It is worth saying that if you're Manchester City and you don't see Salah come out, you're thinking to yourselves, "Thank God for that." Yeah, it's, it's, it was bad enough to go down five 0 but to go down 5-0 with a whimper, you know, th- that's the point for me. We didn't go, this is why I was so upset in that second half. We didn't put up a fight. The message was clearly, you know, it, it seemed to be there when they came out for the second half because of that lineup. And we, we do tend to, as Liverpool fans, we do tend to deify our managers. But, you know, Jürgen, you're our only human. You can't make a mistake. Yeah. And, and it's not hindsight that's telling me that, that taking Salah off was a mistake. And you could see it at the time. You could see this was the, the, the was a wrong decision that wasn't going to work, you know, work out well for us. It certainly wasn't going to allow us to have hope of getting back into the game. We needed to send the message to the players. We needed to we needed to have that belief ourselves that this game is not done. And at least fight. You go down five 0 fighting. You know, um, I don't want to have any, any more lads sent off. Don't any more bands. But you know, you go out there and you put up a performance of with, with pride. That's what we're used to, I think, as Liverpool fans. Oh, you, and I think that, that that's what what was. Oh, you just go sort of one of the things that sort of strike again. So, and again, I I watched it knowing the way this ends up. So you know, and I think that's important that I'm not. Re- I really wasn't watching it with with the benefits of of it unfolding in front of me for for, for this game, but. One of the things that struck me for the first sort of five minutes of the second half was there's actually, someone mentioned the idea of Firmino going off. There's actually a really strong argument to go 4-3, sit there deep, bring Solanke on, have Salah on there and just pump it into channels. Just yeah. pump it into channels. Just get it, pick it up, pump it into channels and have the idea of we're going to turn you round and worry you. You now haven't got, you've got the other keeper who you just don't like, by the way, and none of you has any, any support for you. So you've got him in goal now. You've got smoke hands as well. You're not going to want to watch him coming off the line. Um, let's. You're going to play a high line because you're going to think you know what these can't. These are going to do. You know, you're going to push up. You're going to try and dominate the ball in Liverpool's half. There is a strong, strong argument to basically tell Salah that he looks after the right hand side of the pitch. To tell Solanke he looks after the left hand side of the pitch, or vice versa. Stand on the halfway line, lads. And as soon as any of us gets it, we just go straight away into a channel and, and at least scare you and maybe draw you into a foul. And that might not be. Um indicative of what people think of straight away when you when you hear oh you know go down with a fight and, and go for it but that that is another approach an assertive proactive approach a tactical approach of we're going to do this we're going to sit deep we're going to invite them up we're going to keep compact and then we're going to hit them with pace you know and it's an assertive proactive approach yeah, it's not lashing tackles here it's, it's not, not it's, no, it, but it's something it's that you can get behind yeah. yeah it is and the problem was in that second half by about 60 I, to be honest with you I was really struggling to be able to watch it was painful because mm. it was that passive it wasn't painful because we were getting pounded it was painful watching our lack of plan our lack of belief our lack of structure our lack of spine uh, you know it was it was that was the painful part and that that came i think from what has gone on 
at half time. That should have been an opportunity to get them together, to have strong words, to, okay, if you want to reprimand, reprimand them about being wasteful, fine. But now it's a good, you've got to think about what's going on in the next 45 and what is our strategic tackle plan. And, and in, imposing upon those lads who are going back out there belief that's your job yep. that's your job and you know to uh, we know he's a great man manager we know he's a great motivator well that's your time to do it isn't it you know when whatever chips are down everything's against you you've got to send them out with some hope and the most of the times i talk about hope on this show on the, these shows mm. but they they just they came out hopeless very much so no i agree 100 and it's like you say we can criticize the manager in this instance without saying that He's useless at it. I yeah, mean, absolutely. Every, he he's had a, a poor day just as much as yeah. everyone else, and he's just as likely to be able to see it and rectify it as everyone else. So I think one of the things I've liked about him as a man is that he's never been afraid to hold his hand up and yeah. say, "Yeah, no, I made a mistake there." So I think whether he does it publicly or if he does it privately, in that situation, if that happens a second time, it happens differently. Okay, yeah. um, very, very quickly, because we have not been talking for 80 minutes, and who would have thought we'd have managed that after getting B5-0? Um, just want to, changes for Seville. Um, anyone making any, or are you yeah. going with, what are you doing? Coutinho's coming in. Lovren? Lovren. Uh, Gomez? Yes. Uh, Gomez coming at right back. Just, I think it's the right thing to do for Trent. Um, I think he did the right thing actually yesterday with Trent in not bringing him off because I think that would probably done more damage mm-hmm. than, than good. Um, but I think... Who are you bringing Coutinho in for? I'm, gonna Coutinho... Presu- I'm presuming you're bringing Lovren in for, for Clavin. Uh, Lovren, Lovren's coming in for Clavin. Um, I'd probably play Robertson as well uh, for Moreno and I would bring Coutinho in for Wijnaldum. Yeah, Genie's getting bombed for me. But I also think, not that I would do it, but I think the manager will play Carrius. I think that was the whole point of him playing against Arsenal. I think he's playing in the Champions League, uh, and it was, the idea was to get him a game. So I, I think I think Carrius plays uh, rightly or wrongly, uh, and uh, absolutely Genie. I think he has to go and sit on the bench, and Coutinho comes in, or Alex Oxley Chamberlain comes in. I, I agree with Stu. I think Carrius is definitely going to play, which again I think is <laughs> a bit of a shame because the Minion was the only one to come out with any credit from the game yesterday. Uh, yep. Uh, Lovren Clavering is pretty much a no-brainer. I would be tempted to keep Trent on, considering how he's played in the Champions League before. Maybe that can be a boon. When you're a player, from what I've seen in interviews and what have you, the worst thing after a bad game is a long time to think about it. If he gets another opportunity to put it right again, I can see him. And I think he's got a good mentality, so I'll see him being able to do it. Again, Coutinho for Genie, for me not a problem I, I I think as long as he is is ready mentally to play then I see no problem with him uh, front three again same again okay uh, thank you very much indeed uh, most Stuart Stu Wright and Philippa Smallwood for looking long and hard at uh, Manchester City 5 Liverpool 0 uh, we're going to be covering uh, the preview show of the Seville game uh, Seville game uh, with, by John Gibbons that'll be on tour player that's coming up as well will it be a review show as well the final word on Man City 5 Liverpool 0 all on tour player £5 a month and if you're looking for a fantastic laugh uh, get on last Friday's AFQ and listen to Amelia Bonner um, <laughs> this has been the Anfield Rap this week say no more uh, Liverpool get beat 5-0 by Manchester City don't let it happen again eh Sports Social Podcast Network